HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And we know food and tech is a top, top, top storyline these days. It's something people are interested in. And, you know, we have a pretty broad definition of what food tech is on Tech Bytes. Sometimes that means artificial intelligence restaurants are using to help make their ordering more efficient. Sometimes that means hydroponic tomatoes grown indoors, new food products. And sometimes that means grocery tech, ultra-fast delivery, and ghost groceries. This episode is something that we haven't really talked too much about. We haven't done too much discussion about grocery delivery and grocery store tech, But the pandemic has certainly brought that to the forefront. It's definitely something that had been on the upswing and the uptrend for the past few years. Consumers have become more and more comfortable and more and more interested in doing their grocery shopping on their smartphone or from their computer. And initially, it was a matter of convenience. And over the course of the global pandemic, in some instances, it became almost a matter of maybe personal and family safety and sheltering in place. So right now we are kind of coming to a place in the grocery delivery tech space where convenience and personal interest have sort of dovetailed together. And there are a lot of companies out there who are getting ready to meet consumers where their demands are. So today on the show, we have Elaine Russell, who is the co-lead of the Albertsons Fund at Graycroft. And this is, um, if you know your grocery stores, Albertsons is a big, big grocery store chain. They got together with Graycroft, which is a VC fund, to put together a fund of about $50 million to focus on grocery tech. And this fund actually started back in 2018, which seems so long ago, even though it's only about three years. Elaine, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. A little bit later, we are going to get to Oleg Shavlagin, who is the founder of a company called 1520 based in New York City, and they are ultra-fast delivery uh, groceries to your door in 15 minutes. Oleg, thank you for joining us. 
Hey guys, thanks, thanks Jennifer for having me. So Elaine, the thing I would love to start off talking with you about is t- the the inception of this fund. Um, we have so many investment pools and funds now specific to different things, but grocery tech is an interesting one. Um, and I would be curious to hear, and I'm sure listeners would be as well, um, what the initial idea was and what you mean and what you're looking for when you say grocery tech. Of course. So um like you mentioned, we formed this fund uh, with Albertsons in partnership with Albertsons in 2018. Um, the impetus there was actually we were early investors. Graycroft was early investors in a company, a meal kit company called Plated, um, which you may have heard of. And um, that ended up being acquired by Albertsons. Through that transaction, um, we developed a really great relationships relationship with the company Albertsons. And, um, you know, this was at a time where I think a lot of, a lot of, um, large, especially in the CPG space, but really companies across the board were, uh, watching a lot of M&A activity happening with venture backed companies and interested to get more involved, help out early stage companies and also learn from them. Um, so we joined forces, we formed a, a separate vehicle, um, outside of our core early stage fund, which is our core fund is about 300, a little over $300 million, um, focused on investing in seed and series a companies. Um, we formed a separate vehicle that is a $50 million fund focused on, um, co-investing on Graycroft companies that are at the intersection of grocery and technology. Um, you know, this was, again, it was in 2018. So I think, um, <laughs> I wish I could claim that we, we saw the pandemic coming and knew that there was going to be this incredible shift to e-commerce in the grocery space, but, um, but we, we really didn't, we just knew that it was going to slowly come in. Um, and we, we were very bullish on the entire sector, um, and, and the trend, but obviously in the last, um, 12 to 18 months now, uh, the entire landscape has changed. Um, And so, uh, you know, where we focus our time is really in uh, three different sectors. One, we look at embedded commerce. um, So communities and marketplaces that are combining um, the physical world with the digital world and um, providing convenience and um, and really, you know, convenience and speed are actually two of the pillars of consumer demands that we really look for, um, investments. Uh, I'm sure we will talk more about this later with 1520, but, um, and the next is really next generation retailers. So digital first with omni-channel capabilities, connecting the offline and online personalized experiences, um, And the third is we're looking for technologies that are supercharging a retailer. So, you know, many years ago, Amazon started to set standards for for delivery and convenience. um, And those standards are only getting um, more challenging to meet for for traditional retailers. So we're looking for software-only approaches that, um, that really supercharge the retailer in today's day. Well, certainly if we look at if we look at the timeline of starting the fund in 2018, Amazon purchased Whole Foods in 2017. Correct. And that was sort of the behemoth moment where 
two-day delivery, prime delivery, all of those types of things converge with the Whole Foods brand in the grocery store. Um, and I mean, that would definitely, there was transition there, but certainly in the food tech space and the, the delivery space, you know, that was a seismic shift in things. And moving forward as, you know, we should say, I think that being in New York City is a very unique market. Um, it's very different in terms of the delivery space just generally from the rest of the country and in some instances, the rest of the world. Um, we already have the capability of picking up the phone and getting just about ever, anything, anything you could possibly want delivered to your home or place of business in a <laughs> relatively short period of time, you know, under an hour. Um, and certainly, you know, from the corner bodega where, you you know, I could, ma- I could make a phone call now and before the show is over have, you know, something, you know, walking into my apartment. Um, and Amazon uh, definitely was pioneering and testing the prime one hour delivery in New York City. So already the the consumer habits, I think that you were talking about earlier and that we've all experienced, were really being put into place um, in a very significant way before we get to 2020 and the pandemic and the sheltering in place. And I think the, you know, so many um, founders and business owners that we have spoken with on this program have talked about the year, you know, the year and a half of the pandemic simply being an accelerator to most of those habits. Um, So it's an interesting, it's an interesting time. Have you seen um, any uh, new developments or new companies or new trends happening over the past year with the pandemic? Or has it just been an acceleration of things that are already in play? Um, are, is proof of concept a little bit easier? Are you more confident about pulling the trigger on things because now um, they're not trends, they're hard, fast um, yeah. business models? We, we don't need to ask the question anymore if consumers are going to do their grocery shopping online. The answer is a resounding <laughs> yes, repeatedly, yes. every day. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, 100% on that last comment, you know, in the beginning before the pandemic in 2019, grocery e-commerce penetration was at 3.4%. Um, and, you know, grocers really treated it as um, something that they were willing to outsource really at the end of the day, because they were okay with someone else owning that 3% of their um, of their customer base so they didn't have to change their entire business model to, mm-hmm. to, um, to, uh, cater to it. You know, that changed to being a little over 10% during 2020, um, and predicted to be closer to 25% by 2025. So what was a under 5%, um, portion of their customer base is now going to be a quarter of their customer base in just a mere couple years. Um, it's a shift that we thought was going to have happen over 10 years or more. Um, and so, uh, yes, I, I think that they are going to, they're taking it seriously. Everyone is taking it seriously, new, new entrance, um, to the incumbents. And that comes with a lot of technology and a lot of innovation. Um, I do think that there are a couple trends that we saw layered on top of that. Um, one of them really being, uh, and this was, I think this was just a trend that came out of um, a pandemic where everybody, 
all of a sudden started thinking about their health and their wellness and, um, you know, are they going to be here tomorrow and how do I take care of my, myself? Um, so sustainability, health and wellness have been a few trends that we've seen very, um, come out of the pandemic very strong and, um, really have just been layered on top of this entire shift of towards e-commerce, not only through products, but through packaging and also through, um, you know, even business models, um, on how we're delivering and getting product and using product um, in the grocery space. Certainly people have had a lot more time to be onboarding news and articles and stories. And there was a pretty dramatic break in the food distribution chain over the course of 2020 in a lot of different ways um, from just the actual moving product from point A to point B and getting it into the store to actual production and things, you know, realizing how many things come from overseas and from abroad. And when that sort of global chain stopped, uh, consumers, I think, have a, a greater awareness of what's actually happening in the food delivery system uh, in this country. I'll ask a question which I've asked many guests over the course of the past year. Certainly sustainability, uh, worker welfare, um, health issues, environmentalism, all those types of things have really become, as you just mentioned, uh, points, points of interest for consumers. But we also have those points of interest and sort of the imperativeness of health for ourselves and our community and our planet up against shortages. When someone is doing their shopping, whether it's in front of a computer um, you know, or an app to do online or physically going to a store, what do you think wins out? Do you think people will be uh, more adamant about making choices based on um, philosophies and business practices? Or do you think we're still in a, in a shortage emergency mode where I'm aware of all those things and they're important to me, but I really just need to get something home for my family for dinner and I'm going to take what's on offer because that's what's on offer. Well, I think that, you know, I'm going to answer this and, and I don't think there's really one blanket um, answer for this because I think the answer is probably it depends. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, in my, in my view, um, I believe consumers still just want to get the product that they need um, in the time they need it. And they're willing to pay for that. I think there are some cases for sure, and certainly certain categories of products where consumers have the liberty to um, be a little bit more choosy and um, have their values shine through a little bit more. Um, food, in some cases, falls into that category. Um, but I think a lot of food falls into the more of the essential category, um, where I just need it and I need it now. Um, so that being said, I do think that more and more brands, um, these could be the traditional brands or even, um, especially the new coming brands, um, they are all putting those values at the forefront and they have, opened their eyes to the importance of this um, for consumers. And really when starting a new brand, for sure, um, you know, we look at sustainability as not really even a, um, a, a differentiator anymore. It's, um, 
it's table stakes. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the idea and the thought is that more, more of these brands adopt, um, adopt our values and therefore we can kind of consumers can still, um, shop the way they want to shop and get their essentials home quickly without having to sacrifice, um, their values when doing that. It's an interesting time. And it's interesting also that you say sustainability is not a differentiator anymore. It's, it's table stakes. And that I think would be considered progress in many ways when Very much. Yeah. these concerns, um, that were once, um, you know, movements <laughs> to shine a light on now just become matter of fact, like, of course you have that. And if you don't, we're not even talking to you. Right. Um, do you see a difference between, um, the urban customer and the suburban and then the more, uh, rural customer again, you know, I'm heritage radio networks based out of Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm in New York city. We have a very, very different, um, delivery, uh, and, you know, procurement structure than <laughs> most of the rest of the country has, um, online grocery delivery and these things been, really new in other parts of the country and sort of just taking hold and building steam. Whereas in urban places like New York or Chicago, it's just, it's, it's matter of fact. Yeah. Um, yes, I would say to an extent, yes. Um, I would, you know, click and collect being, um, order online and pick up, uh, at store, usually sitting in your car. Um, that has become extremely, extremely popular in more rural areas. Um, so that where it's harder to get quick delivery, but um, that's actually solving the same demand of speed. You know, I'm going to order online. I'm going to jump in my car, go over there. They're going to put my bags right in my car and I go home. And so they're um, having to do a little bit more of the work, I think, in that equation. Um, but but solving for that same consumer demand of speed um, and uh, just through a different method. Um, but, you know, I will say we're now seeing companies like Kroger experimenting with drone delivery um, in rural areas. So, you know, I think we're at a new forefront um, really right now in terms of, of speed and convenience. And um, it's only going to get more interesting from here on out. And, um, you know, the method might be slightly different, whether you're in downtown Manhattan, or if you're in a more rural, um, rural geography, but, but I do believe that there is a change coming and our, our, um, you know, our expectations that Amazon set a few years ago are going to be re-upped right now. And I think Amazon will be part of that game too, but, but, um, it'll come in a few different forms depending on where you are. It's so interesting about one company sort of being the driver of an entire, you know, industry segment, lifestyle mm-hmm. segment, you know, consumer demand segment. The, the ripple effect is is really um, breathtaking. And in New York City for a few years already, we've had one hour prime delivery on a certain mm-hmm. number of things, which is amazing as well. And it's not just it, yeah. grocery. It's it's a you know, several Almost thousand SKUs that's, <laughs> yeah. you know, on the platform. I don't know where they have those warehouses, but it's pretty impressive. So we've certainly had one hour delivery, you know, one day shipping, two day shipping on other things. Um, 
In terms of getting food to your house, I think for Americans, one of the gold standards is the 30-minute pizza delivery, you know, which has been which has been so for my lifetime, you know, where mm-hmm. you order a pizza, it's delivered to your house in 30 minutes or less, or it's free. Um, so in terms of food, I, I feel like we have the, you know, the hot Domino's. food delivery takeout Domino's model, <laughs> yeah. or, you know, 30, 30 yeah. minutes or less. And then on the other end, you know, with retail and shopping, we have Amazon closing the gap down from two days right. to one day to an hour now. Um, you know, we, we ha- I, I asked you this question um, when we spoke earlier last week. How much convenience do you think people need? How much convenience, um, you know, should we should should be on offer? Uh, Thirty minutes, an hour. Is it just life accelerating? Is it the new um, value time proposition? I certainly think the pandemic has given people a new perspective on what their time is worth. An hour of their time, mm-hmm. a day. Will they be here tomorrow? That kind of thing. You know, in the drive to ultra fast, how much convenience do you think we need? Yeah, I, I'm a very big believer that this is um, a time value um, shift for consumers and for really people everywhere. Um, you know, I know that for myself and, and many people around me, you know, we've gone to appreciating um, what we have, but also really having to um, juggle way more on our plates, I think, throughout the last 12 to 18 months. And um, prioritization has just been the only saving grace for a lot of people. Um, And saying, how can I get all of this done in a single day and still make my entire household um, tick and, um, and work? And so, you know, I... I don't necessarily see it as consumers being more um, demanding or even needing more. Um, This is just taking a little bit of work off of my plate or any consumer's plate where I used to say, oh, you know, I ran out of milk. Um, My toddler needs needs a cup of milk and I'm going to have to put everything down, put the kids in the car and go to the grocery store. I'll be back in 15 minutes. Um, but it's a huge undertaking and a huge hassle. Um, and so to replace that with me saying, I'm willing to pay somebody to do that, um, in this moment is, is huge. Um, and it allows me to continue doing. So the demand is still there. It's the same demand, really. I just was doing it myself. Um, and I'm reprioritizing my, my time, um, a bit towards, towards my family, towards my career, whatever it might be. Um, and offloading a little bit of these, uh, you know, these tasks that are, um, less, you know, a a better, not as a good use of my time, I guess. All right. A more, a more efficient and effective utilization of, of 15 minutes or 45 minutes minutes or whatever it is. Right, Um, because if you have to put kids into the car, it's not fifteen minutes. (laughs) (laughs) True, fair point. (laughs) Um, So we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with Oleg and Elaine about ultra fast delivery, which is certainly a trend that um, is happening right now. It's very big in Europe. It's just coming to the U.S. now. We have it in New York. 
Um, and it's something that the um, fund has invested in. So stay with us uh, while we find out who the amazing company is that is underwriting this episode. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Well, this is Tech Bytes, and we are talking about ultra-fast delivery, grocery tech, and ghost grocery stores. If you are a fan of this show, find us online at your favorite podcasting platform. Subscribe, rate us. It'll help more people discover this show and episode, which we love. If you have a great idea for a topic or a show you'd like to hear, get in touch with us. We are very interactive. You can connect with us via email, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. You can also find us on social media at techbyteshrn. We would love to know what trends you're watching, what trends you love, what you're an early adapter of. And maybe, you know, every now and again, there are people who think the old school way is the best way. And sometimes we do a show about old tech versus new tech. But get in touch. We'd love to hear what you think. Today, we are talking with Elaine Russell, who is at Graycroft and runs the Albertsons Fund, which is all about grocery tech. And one of their recent investments is a company called 1520, based in New York City. And with us today is Oleg Shivlagin, who is the founder. So Oleg, you actually started an ultra-fast delivery service company at the perfect time. Right, right. We started in January on the Upper side in Manhattan. January of? 2021, just three months, four months away. And how is it that you, um, when we spoke earlier this week, you talked about ultra-fast delivery being a trend that's really doing well in Europe right now, and you thought it was a good time to bring it to the United States. Exactly, yeah. So uh, the thing, like, it's one of those rare business models, I think, that's coming the other way around, like more from the east to the west. So it, it was born in China with the Ding Dong and uh, Miss Fresh, then it appeared in, in Turkey. And now it, there is a massive boom happening in Europe with uh, six players in London and five players in Paris. Uh, there, was a, there was a war on that back in 2019 in Moscow as well. And yeah, and I was just thinking like New York is known for quick 
like you know high speed like high i guess life speed like people are living really fast and, and everything is happening like last minute here and uh it appeared to me that somehow like this kind of this thing still wasn't here so yeah so 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 we've came here really fast and and we've started we've started this 1520 grocery delivery business in 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 manhattan so tell us, walk us through how it works. You have both an app and an online portal. So I'm, yeah. you know, Elaine is sitting at home and she realizes that, you know, she needs that milk. What's the process? How does it work? Yeah, so we have uh, iOS and Android app. We have, we have a mobile optimized, optimized website. So a consumer would just go to one to our platform, click an order. We have around 1,500 SKUs now, I think, to select from everything from produce to dairy and eggs to dry shell, frozen stuff, meats, pretty much everything that you may find in your local grocery supermarket. And uh, yeah, then this order would come to, to, to one of our warehouses. We have, a, we have two now. Uh, we'll be opening more quite soon. And uh, those warehouses have a limited coverage area of around two to three miles. Uh, so the order would come to the warehouse. We would pick it and pack it in something around five to six minutes. And then we would deliver in 10 minutes with uh, the courier fleet of ours. 15 to 20 minutes. That's pretty amazing. Um, and so it's a warehouse. So that's why I've decided to call it a ghost grocery, which um, maybe is a new thing that you've heard here first on Tech Bytes. And then couriers to deliver it via bicycle. Is that correct? Yeah, it's e-bikes or scooters, or sometimes they're just walking just because the order would come from the same building or then, you know, around the block. And then it's a two to three mile radius for each warehouse. Yeah, absolutely. And then how many warehouses do you have in mind to then build for New York City, Manhattan, the boroughs? I mean, the whole city might fill, might fill in something like 100 warehouses, I guess. So we're starting, we're, we have now those two, we're starting really like, I mean, we, we, we're, we're looking into opening around 10 warehouses in the next couple of months. And so how is this different from, you know, I mentioned earlier on the show, how is this different from me calling my bodega for a, uh, for that carton of milk? I guess it's pretty much the same. But the, the thing is that, like, we would show the assortment right away. Like, when you go to the app, you would see the exact products that we have in the warehouse with the exact quantities that we have in the warehouse. So this helps avoid things like, you know, when 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 they might not have something and, and like it's just i guess it's just easier like convenience again like opening an app and and choosing from what we have is easier than just calling and asking whether you have this or that you know mm -hmm. and then tell us about how you are doing your SKUs and your product sourcing and you're also working with some of the local neighborhood favorites Right, right. So we have we, we we are vertically integrated in a way that we we are we own everything that we sell. So we would source that from the distributors uh, or from the manufacturers directly. We do partner with some of the local shops, like on the Upper East location. We would have Schaller and Weber meat shop assortment or or Washer's Bakery, which is now I think is also available on the Upper West. 
And whenever we will be opening new spaces, we will we, we would be partnering with the local businesses. So then it really is sort of like your your neighborhood grocery store in some respects. Exactly. So previously, like I, you know, I was I was hearing from the customers on their upper wrist that previously they would need to go to the bakery for the bread and then to another supermarket for meat and then to the third supermarket for produce just because they would like it this way. I mean, we we would source the same bread from our washers to the warehouse and then we would deliver it from there. Mm. Well, that's a that's a good model to have, which I think probably makes people feel like it is um, becoming a part of the community versus sort of taking over the, the shopping community. Elaine, tell us um, what what was it that was interesting to you as an investor about fifteen twenty? Yeah, so um, a couple of things. One is the overall market trends. You know, we've spoke at length now about these consumer demands that I've had my eye on um, around speed delivery or speed convenience um, and really experience. I would layer that on top as well. Experience can mean a few different things, but Oleg just touched upon that um, that ease of of the experience of opening up an app and just placing your order not having to deal with um, distractions and out of stocks, et cetera. Um, so, you know, when we, when we started tracking this trend, um, it was actually only in Europe and um, it started, you know, becoming of interest to us. Um, we, we started really talking to consumers who were using it um, I, I, some of my favorite quotes, um, speaking to some people over in, in Berlin, in Russia and in London, um, you know, I heard from multiple people saying, I can't even imagine my life without this service at this point. It's, it's ingrained in their life today, um, which was just kind of mind blowing to me. Um, you know, being in the United States and just feeling like, you didn't even know what to do if you couldn't get your groceries in 15 minutes or less. Um, it's quite astonishing. Um, so, you know, that intrigued us, um, just the, the addictive nature of it and, um, how it completely took over some European cities. Um, and second of all, I would say would be the team, um, you know, Oleg is, uh, very modest, but you know, they, um, him and his co-founder and, and a few others from his team, they, they have a lot of experience in this space. Um, and maybe he can tell you more, but worked um, at a company called Yandex in, in Russia, um, building out a similar service. And so they have uh, been there, they've done this, they are basically replicating a process that they know very well um, in the United States. So that's something that we do look for. That is a pattern recognition that we have, um, at Graycraft and, um, we are really excited to meet them. So looking forward, um, you know, when Oleg was talking about the marketplace in Europe and Asia, he talked about, you know, being, there being five and six different companies competing for the market. Are, I have not really heard of ultra fast delivery for grocery in 15 to 20 minutes, sort of as the marquee service um, of a company. Are there other 
nascent companies coming on deck? Is this something that you think that Amazon is going to just pop immediately, like 15 minutes or less from here? Um, do you see other companies coming in? Will we see imports from Europe? What What does the horizon look like in terms of, of competition and in terms of this becoming a more uh, standardized, expected offering for consumers? Yeah. Um, for better or worse, I do believe that New York will be a hotbed for this, this service and this technology um, in the very near future. Um, you know, Oleg and 1520 do have a, you know, they were one of the first to really launch this service in New York City, potentially, I think, the first in, in Manhattan. Um, specifically, I think the but, first. Oleg, you're the first, correct? We are the first in Manhattan. Yeah, there are folks in Brooklyn, but uh, until, I mean, in Manhattan, we're the first. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do believe that um, the competition will be high. Um, I'm not going <laughs> to beat around the bush there. I think that there are many companies in Europe um, that are early um, and they're growing very quickly. New York is. Um, I mean, it's kind of shocking that this hasn't existed in New York. Jennifer, to your point, it mm-hmm. has in other ways. You know, you have your bodegas, um, you have Amazon, who's already very strong in one hour delivery. Um, but in our opinion, this is almost another level. It is sort of um, opening consumers' eyes to um, to slightly a, a new service here of, of 15 minute. Um, it just changes the, the proposition a little bit. And so um, I, I believe in six months, you will see many people um, competing against this category for this consumer. Um, we obviously are big supporters of 1520. And I think that, um, you know, coming in first and, uh, and, and building out within New York City is going gr- to give a great advantage. But um, and then I, I don't want to discount Amazon ever. <laughs> I've learned to never <laughs> do that. Um, (laughs) uh, and, you know, so I don't think that they're, um, you know, we always keep an eye on them and we always believe that they can pretty much do anything, but I do think that there's something to, um, focusing on one thing and one thing only and doing it really well. Um, and that's where I think 1520 and some of these, their other competitors will really, um, win in this category. Oleg, on the horizon for 1520, um, you've just, you're opening your second warehouse, you have some others. What What's coming for you? Do you anticipate um, having uh, competition battles immediately? Are you just going to um, roll out, you know, all your, all your warehouses and shops in Manhattan and then start to conquer other cities? What do you, what's on your horizon in terms of your game plan? Yeah, I think Elaine is absolutely right. There's going to be a huge competition happening in, in the city just because it's. I think it's the best economy in the world for this kind of business. Even still today, when everybody talks about New York is dying and people are gone and the offices are closed. <laughs> yeah, but everybody needs groceries, right? Right. On the other, on the other hand. So, uh, yeah, but what, the, what I was going to say is that uh, the comp- like competition is, is not something that's going to stop us it's only going to make us run faster i guess so mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so opening those warehouses in Manhattan, parts of Brooklyn and Long Island City is something of a priority right now. Then uh, going to another densely populated areas of like East Coast cities and potentially West Coast is also a plan. I wouldn't say that it's like immediate plan, but it's something that we've already started to think about. Well, it certainly is interesting. And, you know, I like to hear you say that New York City is still the best market to be in because I have been in New York City the whole time. I didn't leave. I stayed and I love this town. And I think um, I think it always will be one of the best cities for business, for life and for all those things. It's just a little bit of a different version of itself today than it was maybe a year ago or two years ago. And it'll be yet another version of itself in a year or two years or five years from now. Elaine, what are you looking at long term? Um, are, is, it, is it difficult to predict what the trends are going to be with the underlying conditions, the unknowability of the global pandemic? Are you just seeing um, some of your hypotheses really just vetted in a much quicker fashion? Um, is it easier to yeah. sort of, you know, take a jump on a long shot because now in some respects the pandemic has has created almost um, a sentiment of, you know, why not? If not now, when? And I think people mm -hmm. are having the opportunity to make a lot of changes or maybe make some unusual decisions or unexpected decisions, you know, not just in business, but also in life because of, you know, that pandemic feeling of we thought there were so many things we couldn't do and now it turns out we can do all of them. Yeah. I think there's two things here. I think one is... Um, you know, at the core of our thesis, uh, what we have been investing against for 15 years now is technology um, and, 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 and software. And so, you know, we've seen an adaptation over the last 12 months that's very strong and, you know, kind of validated everything. A lot of our theses that have been in, in the works for years and years, you know, whether that's, um, uh, healthcare moving into, um, more being enabled by technology, or obviously we've talked a lot about, um, grocery e-commerce, but you can really apply this to almost every sector that we look at. Um, and so that's been great for us. Um, to answer your question, the second part is, do we take bigger risks now? Um, I think the answer is yes. You know, again, um, we've seen everything just speed up. Um, you know, there's been more liquidity in the market. There has been, um, you know, if you just look at the grocery e-commerce space, a transformation that we thought was going to be five to 10 years took place in one year. Um, and so we are willing to take pretty big risks at this point and to look um, what we thought was deep into the future and may not be um, as deep as we thought and, and make those bets. Um, you know, we've invested in everything from grocery apps like 1522, vertical takeoff and landing, um, airplanes and, uh, you know, self-driving um, vehicles and um, lots in between. So I think it'll be a really exciting time over the next few years in my, I, I was an entrepreneur before I moved into the venture space. And, you know, I do think that it is moments like this um, 
moments of change, moments of potentially a little bit of fear that really spurs innovation within um, people and creates entrepreneurs. Um, and so especially when you're locked in your house for 12 months, um, I think we're actually going to see uh, the, the, the bright side of all this is I, I think that we're going to see um, some really, really exciting things come out of this. Um, you know, people are amazing when they're uh, when they set their mind to it. And, um, you know, the innovation that I'm that we we predict we're going to see is going to be um, it's going to be life changing, really. So sort of the idea of pandemic babies and pandemic businesses you come out <laughs> right. of 12 months of lockdown with you right. know, a new business and a new idea <laughs> and, right. and perhaps a, a larger family. Oleg, you are a, a, an investor and an entrepreneur, you are an entrepreneur and you're sort of in the space where, you know, creating new things is what you do. Does this, does this moment in time feel different for you or does it just feel like launching another, another business, new city, new set of, you know, new set of circumstances, new, new, new thing, or is it, a, does it have a different patina because of the past 12 months? I mean, I'd say that when I when I compared to my previous career and I was and I was working for the global expansion team for the right hailing major right hailing operator in Europe, so I kind of used of you know lending to some new city in Africa or Helsinki or Tel Aviv and 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 starting something from scratch and having some results in something like two to three months. I I, I like from this kind of perspective, I feel that uh, it's a bit same. But in a way, like, of course, it's much more responsibility because right now it's like basically uh, I'm alone. And, and, and of course, we have like the investors and the Craig Craft is helping us a lot and a lot of items. But I feel that right now it's like much more uh, responsibility. Speaking from, from, an, from the perspective of like pre-pandemic or pandemic, things are different. Def definitely. Things are much different. I, I'd say that some of them are like more difficult with the, you know, some some of the things are just work slower uh, just because everybody work from home and things like that. But some of them work much quicker, I'd say, with the, like, you know, with the rent situation now in the city. So that, you know, from the warehouse perspective kind of helps a bit. Well, there's always opportunity and there's always a sort of flip side somewhere. And you know, the online retail, the apps, technology, delivery, all of those things have definitely started to create a shift in, in how businesses do business and create new um, opportunities and new types of jobs and things like that that didn't exist a few years ago. So it is an exciting time, and it's good that someone's taking advantage of, of all those rent deals. I want to thank... Elaine Russell, who is managing the Albertsons Fund at Graycroft for coming on and talking about um, their view on grocery tech. If you want to check them out online, you can find them at graycroft.com and on social media at graycroftvc. If you are in Manhattan on the Upper East Side or the Upper West Side and you are in desperate need of some groceries within the next 15 minutes... You can go to 1520, the word spelled out, 1520.nyc. You can find them on social media at 1520.nyc. And you can also find them in the Android and Apple app stores. Um, and want to thank Oleg Shivagin 
the founder, for coming on and talking to us about his new business and his plans for the future. I'd also like to thank Matt Patterson, who is the engineer of this show, DJ Uptown Nico, who made our amazing techno theme song, heritageradionetwork.org for the platform and production of being able to produce Tech Bytes and share it with a global audience. And thank you, the listeners, many of whom are members who have joined our online radio community as members to help us keep the mics hot and the lights on. If you would like to become a member, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and maybe make a donation of, you know, what your last grocery order was, and it'll help us make more radio. And if you designate your donation to Tech Bytes, I will send you a gift along with my undying love. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.